Dear God, we thank you for today. We are grateful for this time together. We are grateful for a holiday that helps us to be appreciative of those who have sacrificed so much, those founding fathers that risked everything, and many paid with their lives or their property in order to give us these basic freedoms of speech and religion, uh, right to bear arms that we have and that are meaningful to us. Lord, I just uh, pray for our country. We pray for every level of leadership that your wisdom would prevail. We pray for just a, a great move of your Holy Spirit on our nation, that people would respond with conviction and repentance and holiness and walk in righteousness. We do ask for your leading for us. Lord, we, are, um, we just appreciate those who serve in our military, who actually take on a job that uh, could cost them their life for our freedoms. And so we ask for special protection and blessing for those who step into those roles. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, here we are, the 4th of July, and I'm reminded that as Christians, we are dual citizens. And, you know, most weeks we talk about our Christian citizenship, the fact that we're part of this kingdom, this family, uh, that, is, that Christ is the center. Uh, but we do have this other citizenship, those of us that were born here, those that have chosen uh, to come here. There's a, a man in our church named Rod who came, I was born in Peru and came here and at age 28. Uh, took the vow and went through the process and became a naturalized citizen and made a serious commitment and um, is now a citizen here of the United States, even joined the U.S. military and has walked out that commitment to serve this country. And so I want us to think about today our dual citizenship, and I want to specifically focus in on um, what does it mean to be a Christian but to also care about this country, to walk out a love for country under the authority of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? How do we do that? And so I think there are several things. I want to kind of walk through the ABCs of you know, Christian patriotism, so to speak. And so I'm going to go A, B, C, D is where we're going to go today. And so I want you to think about the first one, and there is an outline if that's your learning style in the bulletin. Uh, the first one is A is for appreciate America. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it talks about give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think that part of our circumstance is the country, the culture that we are either born into or we choose to come and join. And I think that it is important that we do appreciate what we have. I have had the opportunity to travel other places, and this is a remarkable place that we live in. We do have freedoms that other nations do not always have. If you look at our history and dig into it, biblical truth is woven through that history. I mean, you can go all the way back to pre-America. At the very beginning, you see in 1608, Captain John Smith, and he becomes the leader of Jamestown. And in that particular struggling colony, um, it, it's interesting, he found that a, a segment of the population was just kind of lazy, to be honest. 
And as he struggled with what to do with this, he looked in the scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul had dealt with, in that particular context, the church, there was a section of the church where some people were going, well, Jesus is going to come back any day, and so uh, we're just going to kind of kick back and let the rest of the church feed us and take care of us, and we'll wait for Jesus to come back. They were, they were you know, sanctified lazy is kind of the way they were pulling this off, Right. And Paul says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And so Captain John Smith read this, and he made that the rule. And the death rate went way down. Um, The load was shared in the colony, and the colony did much better after that particular biblical truth was woven into that. When you see the Puritans who came to this country, came to this area, came to the United States for religious liberty, primarily, that's why they came from 1620 to 1640, was kind of their big wave, and they created the Mayflower Compact, the first group of them, November 11, 1620. And I appreciate what they said about why they came and what they were trying to do. And they said this, in that document, they talk about how they undertook this incredibly difficult endeavor, adventure that they signed up for. And they did it, they said, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's why they came. And so I do think that uh, we have a unique history that a lot of countries do not have. And you even see lots of, um, I would say, miraculous intervention at different moments um, I read quite a few books on, on looking at different things this week, and there, there are lots and lots of stories, but let me just mention a few things. Um, one is George Washington, and this used to be in the textbooks um, before it kind of got edited out, but George Washington, years before the Revolutionary War and the French and Indian War, uh, he was with a British army, and he was one of the officers. And they walked right into an ambush. And the British basically got massacred, most of them, uh, because they weren't used to fighting the way that the French and the Indians fought in the woods. They were used to lining up everyone neatly and you know, then taking your shots. And so they just didn't understand how to fight in these conditions and the way that it was done. And so, um, but George Washington, in what was just this massive defeat of the British army that he was with years before the revolution. He, after the battle, looked at his coat and he had four bullet holes in his coat. Two horses were shot out from under him. Almost every other officer was killed. And as a matter of fact, afterwards, Chief Red Hawk claimed to have personally shot specifically at Washington 11 times. And finally, the Indians that participated, um, they had decided that the great spirit was protecting Washington and quit shooting at him finally. And so we see this kind of miraculous protection of him before uh, he is even in this position where he had this key crucial role in the foundation of our country. In the Revolutionary War, there were lots of different stories, but one is when Washington and his army are not doing very well and they're actually trapped in New York. And there are five British warships that are going to go up the river and completely cut them off from being able to escape from the overwhelming British army. And at that point, 
All of a sudden, you know, after fervent prayer uh, by the Americans, uh, the winds changed and the British warships could not go up the river. And so they didn't go up the river. And then this incredibly thick fog settled in just the right area so that the British could not see what the Americans were doing. And literally, Washington and his entire army were able to cross the river and escape from what would have been certain death and would have really been the end of the revolution, at least most believe it would have been. And it was like, I mean, when the fog lifted the next day, the British were like, what happened? The Americans are just gone. And there's some amazing stories as you dig into our history. It really pretty is pretty incredible. Um, and, and just the end, I mean, yes, it took several years, but this ragtag, untrained, completely inadequate army eventually defeats the most powerful nation at that time on earth. And it really is, I mean, in Washington gives very much gives credit to God that God did this, that they could not have pulled this off. Like when he talks about the fog and that particular battle, he talks about how it was the hand of God that did this. And so I can't help but think back to uh, the Hebrew scriptures in 1 Samuel chapter 7, where Samuel the prophet and the Jewish nation defeat the Philistines, who had way more resources than they did and really should have won. And at that point, Samuel sets up this stone that he calls an Ebenezer stone, which simply meant that thus far the Lord has helped us. And I think if you dig into our history, you find lots of these Ebenezer stones, if you'll look, where the Lord has helped us, where the Lord has walked alongside of us as a nation. I'm not saying he doesn't walk alongside other nations. I, I know that he cares about people around the world, but he has been very gracious to us, and we should be grateful and appreciative to that. I loved how Washington accepted the role of president, you know, because everything he did kind of set a tradition or a precedent. And so he wanted to take the oath on a Bible. And so they, they do that, whether they mean it or not, uh, our current presidents. But um, he took his oath with his hand on the Bible. And then he added something to the oath that they hadn't talked about ahead of time. And he said, so help me, God. He was truly asking for God's help and wisdom as he took over this very tattered baby nation. And then he did something interesting. He actually kind of kneeled down a little bit and kissed the Bible. And he talks about the Bible, and he said, Washington once said this, he said, you do well to learn our arts and ways of life. Above all, the religion of Jesus Christ, that will make you a greater and happier people than you are. And so I think if you dig into our history, you will find these Ebenezer moments that can bring out in us appreciation. And then just a very basic thing that I appreciate that I think is pretty obvious. If you look around the world, we have a simple test of how are things going in a nation. And the simple test is the gate test. If a country opens its gates, do people in the country flee, leave, or do they open their gates, do people from other countries come to the country? And by all accounts, I don't think anyone can debate this, the United States, however far we want to open that door, that gate, people come. 
because the United States of America is an incredible place of opportunity. I love what's inscribed on the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, which was a gift to us from France, celebrating freedom. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. If you read the rest of that poem, it goes on to talk about, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And so we live in a place, a remarkable place, that offers incredible opportunity. I was reading a book not too long ago by Colin Powell, and it's kind of his life story. And here he was, um, a son of Jamaican immigrants growing up in the Bronx in New York. And he went on to become a U.S. general, four-star general, served four different presidents, and the last one in the, in the last presidential administration, he was the Secretary of State in the last one that he served. And that's not possible everywhere, but it's possible here. There are incredible, unique opportunities that we have here that are amazing. And so I think we can appreciate what we have. I've never been in the military. Some of you have. Some of you served. Some of you have gone through very challenging things. I was reading a story, Everett Alvarez Jr., he was a Vietnam veteran, actually survived the Hanoi Hilton, so he was captured uh, by the Vietnamese. And he talks about a little protest that they did, the American prisoners. It was Christmas night, 1970, and the, the prisoners were often beaten, tortured, uh, not allowed to express their faith um, or any love of country. And so they chose that night, Christmas night, and they began to sing as loudly as they can all the different, in all the different buildings and places, um, Christmas carols, and then some of the American songs, God Bless America, Star Spangled Banner, that kind of thing. And of course, they paid dearly for that. The officers were dragged out, made an example of. And, and yet, the next day, after that act of defiance, the uh, commander of the, the jail there, the, the war camp, gave them the opportunity and said, you know what, we're going to let you have worship services in the future. And so they were given this privilege of worship, which most of us take for granted. We're not worshiping this morning in fear. We're not looking over our shoulder because woven into the fabric of who we are as Americans is this incredible gift that we can appreciate. I love that our pledge actually includes the line, one nation under God. Because I don't know if you know this about governments and states and leaders and kings and dictators around the world, but they like to take the top spot. Historically, you can see this down through history. And so it's nice that in this basic pledge that Americans do, that we're, we have this phrase that reminds us that the state is under God. So the A is appreciate America. I think that's appropriate, particularly on a day like this. The B of the ABCs of, of Christian patriotism is to bless America. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, and in this particular situation, the Jewish nation, God's chosen nation, who had, he had a very unique role with, uh, brought forth the word of God, brought forth the Messiah. I mean, a very unique 
um, situation and relationship. And I would not compare the United States' relationship with God uh, to Israel because I think it is very unique. But in Jeremiah 29, 7, the Jewish nation, because of their wickedness, has been exiled. They've been dragged off into Babylon. And the prophet says something interesting to them. So they're being dragged off into this terrible place, this nation that does not honor God. And yet, what are they told? They're told, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so I want us to take a lesson from those Jewish people in exile that one of the things we can do as earthly citizenship, which most of us have it with the United States, is to bless the country that we're a part of. And one of the greatest ways to do this is to pray for our country. I don't know about you, but when it comes to what I can really do and get my hands on, when it comes to the national level, I don't feel like I can do much. Unless you factor in that you and I have the ear of the all-powerful creator God. And then I think we can do a great deal. And so as you are a person who's committed to prayer, that can make a foundational difference. God could send a revival, a great move of the Holy Spirit, and completely change the direction of the nation if he chooses. We have a little prayer group every morning at 7 a.m. You're welcome to join us. And one of the things we pray for quite regularly are those in authority, whether it's the mayor, the governor, the president, uh, Congress. And it's important to pray for our nation. James 5.16, the second part of the verse says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Back in our history, in the Continental Congress, when they're, when they're first getting started, they were quite fractured, and they were having real struggle getting any kind of momentum. And it was suggested that, hey, we should pray. And so they did. They stopped, and they prayed, and they were able to move forward in, uh, with a lot more unity. And then they get later um, to the Constitutional Convention, um, so not the Continental Congress, but the Constitutional Convention. So they're actually writing the Constitution. Now, how do we actually do this? And there was a lot of, of fracturing, little states versus big states. How do we work this out? And Benjamin Franklin reminded them how God had helped them and how they had prayed before. And he pointed them to the power of prayer and even quoted the scripture. And he said this, um, Psalm 127.1, he said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder's labor is in vain. And I love it. This brilliant man, full, and, and this room is filled with some of the greatest minds. And he says, unless the Lord builds this house, we labor in vain. And we need to remember that. We have this incredible privilege that we can pray for our nation. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 is, a, is a, I think, a primary verse for the Christian to keep in mind. Obviously, in original context, it was given to the Jewish people and their nation, but I think we can grab hold of this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so part of our blessing is to pray for our nation. Part of our blessing is to be this humble, repentant group. 
whether we're in the majority, whether we're in the minority, down through history, to be perfectly honest, the church has done better when we're in the minority. Power tends to corrupt. And so that's kind of where we are or where we're headed is where it looks like to me. And so we need to be this repentant, humble, majority, minority, wherever we land on all that, that show people what an authentic life is like. To show people what it means to not walk in pride, but humility. You know, we have blessed, Christians have blessed this nation in so many ways. I was reading about the first college in America. It was started by the colony of Massachusetts. It was named after a clergyman named John Harvard. And its slogan was the Latin phrase, which simply means truth for Christ and the church. And if you dig into our history, if you dig into colleges and hospitals and all of these things, you find so often Christian influence and Christians who have stepped up and served their community. You can just look around the community of Fairbanks and you see the Fairbanks Rescue Mission that comes alongside of the homeless. You can show up here on Thursday nights and see how our volunteers feed people in a partnership with the food bank here in Fairbanks. You have Love, Inc. that comes along those, alongside of those who are struggling financially. We have Christians working you know, individually, but also in line with Find Out Free Clinic to come alongside of women who are in a crisis pregnancy and to help them in those difficult moments. And so you see Christians blessing their culture, blessing their community. Now the C, so we've had appreciate, We've had bless. The C is the one that we're not going to get any pats on the back. You know, we can appreciate our culture, appreciate the country we're in. We'll get some pats on the back. We bless them. Um, you might get a few attaboys. This one people don't like so much, but it's still important. It's still part of being a Christian patriot. And that is to be the conscience that actually challenges America. One of the greatest statements of philosophy ever found is in our Declaration of Independence, where Thomas Jefferson writes, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, you've probably heard that statement since you were a child, but at the time, that was a radical statement. It was a radical statement. And when America does not live up to that statement, it is, and, it, and there have definitely been those moments and those seasons, particularly with America's original sin, which was slavery, then it's the church, Christians who have stepped up. They weren't, it wasn't just the Christians, but Christians were abolitionists. They were leaders of this. They fought this. They tried to get all people treated like they are made in the image of God, that they have value. I can't help but think of the story of the Liberty Bell. You probably you know, have seen pictures of the Liberty Bell with the crack in it. I didn't really know the story behind it. I thought it was interesting this week. William Penn, who founded Pennsylvania, he would hang a bell from a tree in Pittsburgh, or Philadelphia, excuse me, and as, you know, as news happened, he would ring the bell and call them and, and give them the news. And as the town grew, he wanted to get a bigger, 
bell. And so the legislator ordered a 2,000 pound bell. And the inscription was chosen from Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. And it had this phrase, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. But there was not liberty for all the inhabitants, obviously the slaves, um, how Native Americans were treated. And what's interesting is when they gathered in 1752, the city buzzed with excitement to hear this bell. It was going to be rung. And the very first, you know, they rung the bell with great um, energy and force, and it cracked at the first strike of the clapper. So then they took the bell and kind of melted it down and reworked this bell, and they wanted it to, you know, to, to work. They get the bell back out, and, and they're going to present it. And this time they tried to ring it. It didn't crack it clunked. It didn't really ring. And so finally they reworked the bell again and melted it down, recast it in 1753, and this time it worked. But eventually it did get a crack, even in this third version of the bell. And I couldn't help but feel like it's a little glimpse, a metaphor, a picture of America, that we have these ideals and we work towards them and we make progress. And it took a long time to hit that ideal uh, for African Americans to be treated equally. It took the blood of tens of thousands of Northern soldiers in the Civil War for slavery to actually be ended. And it took the Civil Rights Movement of the 60s to make sure voting and, and all of that and there's probably still work to be done. There's still challenges. Um, I don't buy all the claims of the Black Lives Matter movement. I think the whole systemic racism is overstated. There are definitely pockets of racism and problems with racism. But to believe you know, how uh, police officers are painted across the country, I just don't think it's true. And so, but I think you see in the United States that America continues to move forward and try to live out its ideals. I remember the first time it hit me that I read years and years ago that women didn't have the right to vote till 1920. I'm like, wow, that's like in the lifetime of my grandmother. That's, I don't know, I just find that shocking. But as we act as the conscience of our nation, we're not going to get out of boys. That can lead to conflict. Um, I had to laugh. I wrote an article recently, and it was about Christian patriotism. And, um, and I look, and I was, I was slightly over the word count that I was told, but my entire paragraph about being the conscience of a nation. And I talk about um, that, look, you know, when the culture is saying that pride is a virtue, particularly pride in sexual immorality, we're the lonely voice that says, no, it's not. Humility is a virtue. And purity is a value. And gender is a precious gift from God and a biological reality, not a social construct. Interesting. That whole section got edited out. So don't expect attaboys when you step into this role.
but it means this role is even more important than you might think it is. Down through the history of the Bible, look at the prophets of old. They were always challenging their government, challenging their nation, calling them back to holiness. In the New Testament, Jesus had that relative, that cousin. John the Baptist literally lost his head because he dared to challenge the morality of the king. And so we need to understand that part of being a Christian patriot is to be the conscience of a nation. The national anthem, I had never noticed this till this week. I'm reading through the lyrics of our national anthem, and I'm like, that's really strange. The last line says, over the land of the free and the home of the brave, question mark. Isn't that interesting? And I think the question is, will we be brave? And when it comes to this part of our role as Christian patriots, will you be brave? The final idea is the D, and that's we are to disciple America. We are a people on a mission that is worldwide, that is international. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus came to them. This is what he, the marching orders before he leaves. Very familiar passage. You may have it memorized. Said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love that. He sets himself above all authority. This is what got the Christians in trouble in the first century. Because they'd call him in, they'd say, hey, Caesar is a god, you need to worship him, you need to offer some kind of offering of incense or whatever. And the Christians would say, no, I follow Jesus Christ, he's the ultimate authority. But see, governments like that top spot. Tyrants like that top spot. But only Jesus has that spot. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So we are to disciple America. We are to disciple those around us and around the world as well, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are to walk out a living vibrant faith. We are to make disciples of friends and neighbors, loved ones, our children. We're to share with them the beauty of the gospel message that we just celebrated in this simple, symbolic way where Jesus Christ, the only sinless person to ever live, who is fully God, fully man, came and offered his life on a cross so that the justice and the wrath and the righteousness of God could be satisfied and we could be forgiven and we could be set free. And when we walk in a humility that acknowledges we need grace, we need the gospel, then I think it's winsome and people are drawn to it. I appreciate an interaction between Dr. Rush, who was essentially the first Surgeon General of the United States. I don't know that he had that title, but that was kind of the role he had. And he was in a meeting with John Adams, who was the second uh, U.S. president, and he asked him directly, because the war was going terribly. I mean, the Revolutionary War looked bad at that point. And he leans over to John Adams and he says, can we actually win? And John Adams said this. And I want you to imagine any of our politicians, any of our leaders saying this. 
John Adams, our second president, says, Yes, if we fear God and repent of our sins. If we fear God and repent of our sins. And so, you know what we can do best for the United States of America? Is live on mission. Make disciples. You know how to bless the United States is to, is to walk alongside of a person who's struggling with addiction and help them to break out of that cycle. To come alongside of a struggling couple that's about to divorce and, and pray for them and help them. To share the gospel with a child and to watch them experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their life and transform them so that they don't take all these destructive paths and doors that the culture opens to them. One of the most powerful things we can do is just live on mission. Make disciples. The Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 12, the first part, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, clearly that was written to Israel, but I think we can snag it. I think that's available. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So the big idea is this. We are dual citizens. Follow Jesus wholeheartedly, but bless America. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this holiday. I pray that families will get together, they will celebrate, there will be laughter, um, there will be prayers, there will be times of enjoyment. Lord, I just pray for our country. There are some disturbing trends, but there are some encouraging trends. Lord, I thank you for the um, Supreme Court decision, nine to zero, that a Christian adoption agency didn't have to put innocent children into a gay couple's home. Thank you for bright spots like that, where we can walk out values walk out holiness and truth. But Lord, I pray that we will be brave. Whatever comes, whatever we face, Lord, we ask for your leading and your wisdom for our nation. We do ask for your blessing, but we acknowledge that our role is to walk out repentance. And I pray we will do that with honesty and humility. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, King above all kings. Amen.